Thank you for joining Vertical Church Online. Today, Pastor Brian starts us off with the new series, I Know a Ghost. It's absolutely amazing. It talks about how the Holy Spirit was in the beginning of the Bible, all the way up to now, and how it is in our life. Here's Pastor Brian with the message. People like to talk about who they know. Some say they know a celebrity. Some say they know a professional athlete. I guess they think that who they know makes them someone. I don't really know any celebrities. I don't really know anyone that's wealthy. My story's a little different. But it is the truth. Who you know Man. does make you someone. I'm you so see? glad I'm here today. I know, God. Yes. Woo, man. I love new, uh, new series beginnings here at Vertical. Everyone we have feels like a new chapter that I believe God's taking us into as a church. This one feels different. This one feels like a whole new section of a book, maybe a book two even, you know? We're about to venture into some places we haven't been before, so I'm grateful. Are you ready to go on an adventure? Yeah, yeah me too, me too. So uh, I grew up in Oak Cliff, and uh, yeah, shout out Oak Cliff. Not very far from my house was a place known in the area, suspected by many to be haunted. And so people would try to sneak in to this area. Big iron gates, a lot of trees, and the words, Ravinia Mansion. And so it was known, if you wanted to see something pretty odd, you tried to make your way into those gates, venture up into the mysterious, into the place where the stories came from that were haunted. So I remember out uh, with some friends one day, they said, let's go. And I said, let's not. <laughs> but let's did. So I went very nervous, very cautious. It was daytime, which helped. Wouldn't have done it at night. We went, crawled under the gates, made our way up the drive and in the distance. Scary. More dogs, more barking. And the other folks said, we better not go. I said, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. And we left not to see what was in the Ravinia Mansion. Anybody ever sneak your way up there? Anybody, Oak Cliff Dwellers? Nobody wants to admit it. Oh, Phil Lynch? It makes sense. It makes sense. I never got to know if there was a ghost. But we have ventured into some new territory today. We have ventured into some places that I'm very excited to go. I'm ready to press beyond the gates. I'm ready to go on up into the area that is, that is unusual. I'm ready to move on up to some places I haven't been before because I want to get into the house where the ghost is. I want to know him. I want to know him in a way I haven't before, and I believe that's what's ahead for all of us. I want us in this series to get to the place at the end of it where we don't say, I know about a ghost. I know some stories about a ghost, but I know a ghost. So that's where we're headed this series. I'm glad you're here today. I believe that as we do this, as we make it individually our goal to know this holy ghost, that you'll discover intimacy with God on a deeper level than you have ever known before. That awaits you. You. In spite of what you've done, that awaits you. I believe you'll experience greater freedom in your life from your past, your guilt, your shame, your insecurities, your fears, and your weaknesses than you ever have before. I believe you will experience some of the greatest peace that you have ever known, even in the midst of your greatest turmoil. I believe you will experience the greatest confidence and power that you have ever experienced in your walk with Christ. I believe you will experience greater change in your life 
a removal of things that have held you back, some habits that you've got that need to be left behind, you will experience those as you get to know this ghost. Some of your greatest experiences with God await you in knowing this ghost. So we begin today with a mystery. I can't talk about ghosts without there being mystery. And you can't talk about the Holy Ghost without starting at a place of mystery. So today, we venture back, not just to the beginning, but we're going back to before the beginning. We're going back into a place where there is no beginning. We're going back into a place that is greater than eternity itself. We're going back to a place, a dimension, where there is only God. He's not alone in that place. He's not afraid. He's not in need. He's not wishing he had someone because he dwells there as three. There in the before, in when the place is only God, is God the Father, the fixed, immovable, forever eternal God, unchanging, all-wise, immortal, no limitations, God the Father. There's also God the Son. He dwells then as well. Before he has dwelt here, he had always dwelt there. There was no beginning to him, for he always has been, along with the Father. And the two of them dwell in this oneness and intimacy that goes beyond anything you have ever even wished for or dreamed for. They, though different, are one. They experience closeness. They share passion and glory and delight and wisdom. And the Son is the image of the Father. And the Father delights in the Son. And the Son gives glory to the Father. And they dwell there together in this before. But it's not just them. There's another. There's a third. The Bible refers to them in the Old Testament as the Holy Spirit, the ghost, the very essence of God himself, the very breath, of, as you were, of God, the, oh, this is God too, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the ghost. He's the essence of the three. He's the passion of the three. He's not seen, but he's there. You can't see him pass by, but you know when he does. He fills, he inflames, he changes people. But here in the before, the three of them all dwell together. And it is out of what they have, out of who they are, which, by the way, is absolute fullness. There is nothing that they need. There is no limitation. There's nothing that they lack. They are the fullness of all things, and they fill all things. Out of who they are as one, something begins. They begin by creating. They create time and eternity. They create earth. They create the visible from the invisible. And all of a sudden, there is a creation that has come from the Creator. I love what it says in Genesis, in the second verse of the Bible, that the earth was shapeless and without form, 
and the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. Ooh. You see these three in the very early pages and verses and words of Scripture. They had always been, and now they are coming into visible reality, into a realm that we now will know. And they create, and the Spirit is there hovering. He is preparing what has been created for what the Father is about to say. Mm. It's a pattern throughout Scripture. The Spirit hovers when the Father's about to speak. The Spirit becomes present when something is about to happen. And the Spirit hovers and the Father speaks and says, let there be light. And there is. That kind of hurt my ears a little bit. The Spirit always precedes a word like that. And he is intimately involved. Out of the three... Out of them, they say something significant in Genesis. They, they say, let us make man in our image. Woo! Out of the three, out of their fellowship, out of their joy, out of their passion, out of their holiness, out of their fullness comes a created man that would be the first. Mm. Now I'm going to condense the story here to move on a little further because we know what happened to this man. He walked with God. But he was deceived by the serpent. He was deceived by the enemy. He made a choice, this man did, based on a seduction from the enemy to his wife, and his wife and he took and ate what they were not supposed to eat. And what had been created out of fullness was now under a curse. Everything changed in this moment. You would think in this moment that what had been planned was just now interrupted, was just now brought to an end, was just now brought to its knees. But you don't stop God when he starts something. He was only seeing his plan unfold. And here in the very early parts of Genesis, a mystery begins. Because even in their sin, God provides covering. He sacrifices an animal for them to cover them. And he says in a promise to them, there's coming a day, oh, there's coming a day when a seed that comes from you, Eve, is going to be bruised in his heel, but that same one is going to bruise the head of the serpent who caused this. There's a promise and there's a mystery. They didn't know what that meant, and for Time and time and time, they didn't know what that meant. It was a mystery. There was coming another day. And so as pages of scripture turn, we find these pictures that God begins to give. The mystery turns into pictures, pictures of another day, pictures of this mystery. Abraham is met by God in a dream by an angel, on a hillside one day even. And in all of these occasions, Abram senses God near. And he knows there's something about this moment. There's some sense at which he's here. And he couldn't always define it. He couldn't always tell where it was and who and what was going on. But he knew there was something here. And promises were given. Pictures were made. Moses sees a, a burning bush that doesn't burn up. And God speaks out of it. There's a presence there. 
There's a spirit there. There's something at work there. The people of God are freed from Egypt. They're led to a land where they miraculously cross what had held them back, the Red Sea, and there's this unusual sense of presence there. There's someone leading them. There's someone parting the waters. There's this sense of something is there. What is it? It's so mysterious. It's so unknown. Moses meets with God on a mountain, and there's a presence there. The ghost is there. In those meetings that God has with Moses, he gives them a, a little bit bigger picture. Moses, I've got, I've got something I want you to build. I want you to build a, a tabernacle, a tent, a place. And he gives Moses very specific blueprints on how this is to be built. The exact materials, the exact size and what is to go inside it. And so they build it. There is an outer court in which people come to bring sacrifice, covering payment for their sin. And it's here in this outer court that there is a, an altar where those that are brought, these animals that are brought are sacrificed as payment for sin. And many come into the outer court for this where the priests are gathered and they do the work of receiving the sacrifice to offer it to God. There is a, a laver there, a place for the priest to wash because that's not all there is. It's a beautiful picture, just that portion alone of the one who would be part of the three who would come and be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. That outer area is a beautiful picture of Jesus sacrificed for us. But there's more than the outer court. There's an, there's a, an interior part. There's a, a room, a large room that you can enter into. And in this room is more mystery. It's dark, but there's candle, candlelight, flame. There's colors. There's gold. There's the sweet smell of bread in this place. And it's this beautiful picture of God the Father established there, secure there, immovable and holy and righteous. And only the priests can enter into this room. It is holy. It's sacred. It's set apart. The son pictured in the sacrifice, the father pictured in this established space. But there's another room. There's one more room. There's a room that God said, this will be called the holy of holies. This room is different. It's not like the outside. It's not like the other inside room. This room is smaller. This room contains a box, a sacred box. And on top of it are angels, figures that are cut according to God's design. And in this space, the blood from the sacrifice will be poured out on top of the box that is referred to as a seat, not because one would sit on it, but because the blood would be poured out on it to rest there so that when these angels who stood over it looked down, they would see the blood. For inside this box, below the blood, were the broken commandments written on tablets. So when the father looked down through the sacrifice of the son, he saw the blood covering their sin. But that's not all that's in this room. In this room, there is no light. In this room, it's dark. In this room, only the high priest could go. And only once a year. And only if he had prepared himself properly to enter in. And even then, he went with much fear and intrepidation. Will I come out? Will I be able to go into the Holy of Holies and come back out? Because in there, he knew, everybody knew, was a presence. Oh, you couldn't see him, but he was there. 
It was the ghost of God, his very essence, in full glory in that space. No light, but full glory. And to go into that space was to take your breath away because you were in the most clear and evident presence of God himself. What a picture in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. A picture that these journeyers of faith would carry with them and set up and camp around and they knew in the midst of them was God. Pictures. The ghost, the most mysterious. There are other times that the ghost would appear throughout the Old Testament. He would appear at brief times on people of faith for particular assignments in particular moments. Samson, at a time when he is needing to show his greatest strength and be a warrior, the Bible says the spirit, the ghost, came upon him and would fill men and women like him for the task, and then the ghost was gone. As quick as it had come, he was gone. Samson. David, when he's anointed king of Israel, the Spirit of God comes upon him. The Spirit of God comes upon him when he faces Goliath. The Spirit of God comes upon Joshua as he leads God's people. The Spirit of God appears to Ezekiel as he sees wondrous signs that God shows him. All temporary experiences with the ghost. Temporary, limited moments. None of these ancients ever got to experience the fullness of the ghost the long-term effect in their life. They journeyed as people of faith. They remembered the pictures. They remembered the tabernacle. And they looked forward to a day when the mystery would be no longer a mystery. Have you ever had mysteries in your life? Our family loved to watch when it was first out and still don't mind going back and watching some episodes of Monk. Monk is one of these TV, you know, um, detective guys who's a little OCD about some things. But it was always fun to watch the mystery unfold, to see how he would solve the crime, the matter. And these ancients waited as they saw the pictures. Time would pass and God would give not just pictures. Now there would begin to be promises. God would begin to verbalize to his people, there's coming a day. There's a new day coming. And they would write about what God said to them. Men like Joel, the prophet Joel, he would be moved by the ghost and he would write this. It shall come to pass afterward, another time, a day sometime later, that I will pour out my spirit, ghost, on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy... Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they read those words and they were moved with faith and longing. Oh, that those days would come. Oh, that those days were now as they watched their own nation degrade into sin. Ezekiel would be moved by the ghost and would write these words from God. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit, ghost, within you. I will take your heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And it was so mysterious. These ancients had seen demonstrations of God in front of them. They'd heard stories about God happening. And here are these men writing 
moved by the ghost to say, there's coming another day. There's coming something different. When the ghost won't just be there, you won't just read about him, but you will know him within. And it was all so mysterious because no one had known the ghost like that. There had been scenes, pictures, wonders, but for the ghost to be within, that's something different. That would speak of something intensely personal. That would speak of something very experiential. That would speak of something completely transforming. That would speak of something that was real, though you couldn't see it. It would speak of the mystery of the ghost. It's one thing to read about something. It's quite another to know it. had the privilege of helping all five of our kids learn how to drive. That's right. Parent taught driver's education. So there was the section that they would read and study and then take a test on so they could get their permit. And that whole thing up to that point is just information. They legally can't get behind the car wheel yet to drive because they don't have a learner's permit. And so everything they're learning at that point is information about driving. How fast you should go in school zones. What to do when it's raining and you're driving on the highway. When you're going 70 and the the information tells you how long it will take you to stop if you're on wet pavement. And at that point, all five of my kids are answering the information with just information. They know about it. And you can write down a number that tells you how many feet it takes to stop on a rainy surface when you're going 70 miles an hour, but that's just information. The experience is far different. You don't know anything until you've been going 70 miles an hour down Highway 35 and truck brake lights come on in front of you. When you put your foot on that brake and you feel the wet pavement under you and your car begins to slide, that's something different. Right? That's an experience right there. And that'll do something to you. I'm telling you. Especially when your kids are the one driving. Knowing about it is different than knowing it. Yes, it Having information is far different than an experience. That's right. That's right. You can't just know facts. You can't just know verses. You can't just know some doctrinal truths. You are invited to a time when you experience it. Yes. And that's something different than knowing about it. Promises of a new day. The Old Testament continues, comes to an end, and there are years and years and hundreds of years of silence. Where did God go? And in those days... They waited for the promise and the pictures to become a reality. They waited for the day. And after much silence, that day came. The ghost returned. And this ghost shows up in a conversation that an angel has with a young virgin girl named Mary. Mm. And here in this moment, the angel says to her, Mary, do not be afraid. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God, is about to move upon you, and you are going to have a son. 
the Holy Spirit was hovering over Mary, and the Father spoke, and new life began in her at that moment. The Son of God came alive at conception in her, not because she had been with her earthly husband, but because God miraculously had moved in her by the Holy Ghost. Ooh. He returns, and boy, when he returns, he returns big. And he begins to work. She does give birth to the son, and the ghost is present all around the events surrounding the birth. The ghost is present because he shows up also to the father, Joseph, and tells him, do not be afraid, but you shall name this, this boy. You shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And he does. This boy grows up. The father is well pleased. The son lives in obedience to him. He sets aside everything else that could be a distraction. He sets aside whatever could be a weight, and he makes it his single focus to serve the father. And there comes a day when Jesus makes his way out to a man who's John the baptizer. Jesus makes his way to him. It's someone he knows. It's actually family. And John says, I'm not worthy. And Jesus says, you must do this. I must do this. And John baptizes Jesus, brings him up out of the water. And when he does, here is the son spoken to by the father because the father says this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And everybody hears it. But that's not all. It's the son, it's the father speaking, and the Bible says in that moment, a dove came flying down. And that is the Holy Ghost. And he come and lights upon Jesus. It's a beautiful moment where the three are all one. The mystery is beginning to have some resolve to it. Jesus walks in his ministry, and he walks in the power of the ghost. He heals where the Father tells him to heal. He says what the Father tells him to say. He goes where the Father tells him to go, and he's moved by the ghost. This is what directs his life, leads his life, transforms him as he grows in his understanding of what the Father has for him. He fulfills the law. He fulfills all the picture of the tabernacle. He becomes the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He becomes the one. But he's not accepted by man. Instead, he is arrested by man. He is taken. He is beaten. He is hated. He is brought into judgment. He is brought and put into a place where he receives a crown of thorns. He is taken and nailed to a cross. And there he becomes the fulfillment of what God had for him to do. He became that lamb. He became the one who became sin so that you and I might could be free. He takes our condemnation. He takes our judgment and he pays the price for sin. In his last breath, he cries out, it is finished. It is completed. And then he is taken down from the cross. He is placed in a borrowed tomb and one day passes as the disciples mourn. Two days passed as those who crucified him began to rejoice. But on the third day, something happens. The ghost shows up. The ghost makes his way into the tomb. The ghost begins to hover over the body of Jesus, just like it had done before. And they're hovering, 
He breathes into the sun and he comes back to life. He's resurrected. He comes up out of that moment and he's alive. He defeats sin. He defeats the grave. He fulfilled all that the father had and he has been filled with the ghost. He's alive. Mm. And you think, wow, that's an awesome story. It's finished. It's over. Wow. Nope. It wasn't. Many people like to think that's kind of the, the period. That's the stopping point. You know, that's the end of the story. Beautiful. Can't wait to Easter to hear it again. But even Jesus had said, you know, there's something else coming. There's something more. You see, now listen to me. Jesus himself would say, I have come, I have a purpose, but that's not the end. There's another coming. There's another day coming. And it was mysterious to the disciples. They're like, I don't get it. You're leaving? What does that even mean? And there's another coming? What does that even mean? Mysterious. And Jesus would say, what I have come to finish is only the beginning of something else. I have come to just prepare the way for another there's another person coming. There's, a, there's more. There's another chapter. There's greater things. In fact, Jesus would say, it really, guys, is to your advantage that I go away. Yeah. What? Yeah. He, Jesus said, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. I have to go and get him for you. He can't come until I leave. And Jesus said, and when he comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. And these men heard this, and I'm sure there must have been thoughts of stories. Joel, Ezekiel, the tabernacle, the temple, pictures, promises, mystery, swirling, there's a ghost that's coming. There's a helper coming. There's a comforter coming. There's someone who will be inside us, and he's yet to come. And he won't just do something outside. He'll do something inside of man. He'll lead from the inside, not from the outside. Do you know there's a difference? There's a difference of being led from the outside and being led from the inside. Led from the outside is when you tell your kids to clean their room and they haven't yet. And you're like, hey, let's go, let's go, come on. That's having to lead from the outside. Hello, you know what I'm talking about? That's the problem. So, hey, come on, if you get finished, we'll go to McDonald's. You know, it's all that kind of, that's, that's leading from the outside. Leading from the inside is when desire comes alive and they actually want to do it themselves. Like, well, that's a miracle, isn't it? <laughs> can be. But it's the same here. There's a new day coming, God said. And when, he, when this new one comes, he will lead from the inside, not from the outside. You won't have to be drug along. You'll be impassioned along. There'll be a new thing that'll happen. There'll be a new fire within you that'll ignite within you. And you won't want to do what you've done before. You'll want to walk away from that stuff. You'll want to walk to some new stuff. There's a new day coming. And he's going to lead you into all truth from the inside. You won't have to be taught by others. He will do the one teaching you on the inside. Mm. And the mystery would then be more complete, more fulfilled. So Jesus, after he finishes his time resurrected, he ascends back up to the Father. There's a day on a hillside where he... He goes back to the Father. The disciples are standing there, and the angel's like, what are you looking at? He's gone. And they're like, what do we do now? You go on to where you were told to go, and you wait there for the one who's coming. And they began to put together the pieces of the mystery, 
the puzzle was becoming a little bit more clear. So Jesus goes back to the Father. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in all authority and power and dominion and victory and conquering, ruling power. And in that day, he sits down. He says, hey, ghost. He didn't have to really because it was already within him. Ghost, your turn. You're up. You're on. I did my part. This is your day. From this point forward, it's you. From this point forward, it's what you're going to do, and you are going to be what the people will know most. The spirit, the ghost, is going to have more of a preeminence in this time. And Jesus sits down and sends the ghost. Now, when he comes on earth, here is what it looked like. We call it Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, this is the moment, there came a sound from heaven. Jesus has just sent him. And of a rushing, mighty wind, because ghosts carry the sound of wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Listen to this. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This was a brand new day. This had never, ever happened before. It didn't happen for Adam. It had not happened to Moses. It had not happened for David. It had not happened to Isaiah. It had not happened to Ezekiel. They had had temporary moments where they experienced the ghost. But in this moment, the ghost came to live in man. It was a brand new day. He would dwell in man. It was the fullness of God. Not just a piece, not just a part, not just in a little room in man, but for these men and women of faith who believed the fullness of God entered in to the fullness of them. And all of a sudden, they were filled with a new passion. They had inside them what they had seen outside of them. They had heard stories of fire and power and passion and worship and sacrifice and joy and peace. They had heard the stories, but now it was beginning to be in them. They had gone from learner's permit to full-on driving. They were all of a sudden experiencing the reality. And when the fullness comes in, that's what happens. He comes in, and what seems so ethereal, intangible, becomes very real. What seems like so distant becomes very close. The very essence of God comes to live. The fullness of God in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his truth, in his wisdom, in full reality comes to live in man. That was the beginning in Acts. And this was the beginning of the period of time that you and I now live in. This is the time of the Holy Ghost. Yes, we worship Jesus for what he did for us. We obey him, follow him, lift him up, and lift him out. But the way you and I do that is through the indwelling, infusing, holy, passionate ghost of God 
within us. I can't do it without that. I've tried living my life in my own strength. I've tried obeying in my own abilities. I've tried loving my wife in my own strength. I've tried walking in what he's called me to in my own strength. And I cannot do it. And when you come to that place and you recognize, God, I can't do it. I need something else because the push from outside isn't working. I need to push on the inside, God. Will you do that? And he says, yes, I have a ghost for you to know. Yes. Jesus is talking with the disciples before before he goes through what he goes through. And there's this very awkward moment where Jesus is sitting with them. Excuse me, Brad. I'm going to do this. Jesus is sitting there with the disciples, and he gets up real close and goes, He's like, dude, did you just have some fish? What? (laughs) Brianna ate some peanut butter balls this morning, some energy balls that her mom made for her. And she came up to me and said, hey, Dad, we're going to sing this song. And I'm like, whoa, back up. Hey, hey. Got the spirit of Jiffy on you here all of a sudden. (laughs) But Jesus did that to the disciples as a visible way of saying, there's a ghost coming. And he's going to breathe on you. He's going to breathe his breath into you. And he will lead you from the inside. He'll teach you from the inside. He'll comfort you from the inside. He'll he'll lead you from the inside. You won't have to have to have someone else. He will do it. Mm. I want you to listen, and I close with this. What the Apostle Paul said. I'm going to get my Bible from this one. I don't want to read it out of a piece of paper. I'm turning to 1 Corinthians if you just want to follow me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul lived on the other side of the ghost coming. He knew what it was like to be dead without the ghost. He knew what it was like to be filled with the ghost. And here is what the Apostle Paul writes. Consider this in light of all that we have just talked about today. I'm beginning in verse 6. However... We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. What? God, you did this for us? Verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Oh, they didn't know what they were getting started. They didn't know what they were unlocking. They didn't know what was about to happen. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, but, but God has, past tense, revealed them to us through his ghost. For the ghost searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the ghost of God. Verse 12, now, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit, the ghost who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And you say, that's awesome, beautiful. Amen and glorious. But you may also be saying, but I'm not there. I don't know that experience. I know that information, 
You haven't told me anything this morning that I didn't already know. I'm not here this morning to tell you some things to know. I'm here to introduce you today to a person, the Holy Ghost of God, for you to experience. I want you to feel the full weight of what that's like. I want you to know him, and that's a decision only you can make. You have to get behind the wheel yourself and drive. You gotta get behind the wheel and let him move in you. You've gotta get behind the wheel and let him direct you from the inside, not the outside. So I would say to us today, we're beginning a journey today, now. We have received the Spirit of God. You may not recognize Him yet. You may not know the reality of that yet. But I would say this to you today. Now that you know, thank Him for Him. Thank Him for what He has done. We don't live going to a temple to go see Him there. He's made us the temple. The ghost is within us. When we come together, we're having a ghost meeting. You bring your part of the ghost, I bring my part of the ghost, and man, he's gonna show up in fullness. This will be ghost living. So thank him for it. And you may need to take this other step today. You may need to say to him, God, I didn't know, but now I do. And so I receive what you have given. I believe and then let him lead. Pray with me. Father, what a journey you've led us to. What a place we stand in today. What holy and glorious things you want to teach us. And it begins here today. It begins in this moment, recognizing that the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, have come so that we might have fellowship so that we might know truth, so that we might walk in wisdom, so that we might walk in righteousness, so that we might be led and not pushed, so that we might have intimacy and not just religion, so that we might have a closeness with you we've never had before, so that we might have peace we've never had before, so we might have power over sin in our life we've never had before. And so we begin by receiving, accepting, surrendering, and thanking you for the ghost. We are grateful, God. And we pray in the name of Jesus and in the power of the ghost. And all God's people said, amen. What an incredible message from Pastor Brian. I personally learned so much just in this message alone. I can't wait to hear what other people have to say about it. If you learned something, leave in the comments down below. We'll see you next week at 1030. Bye.